Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Okay, guys, we're going to start up again. Okay, so we're going to do a fireside chat now with George. I want to introduce George, but we're going to talk, but I want this to really be open for questions. I, you know, I, as I said yesterday, I like to be interrupted. Whatever you think is you want to know more about, you should ask about. And keeping in mind that the theme of the event is the customer journey. And uh, George is really a, kind of a master of this in a lot of ways. And um, we're going to get into his seven pillars of, of marketing strategy. But first, I want to, for those of you who haven't had a chance to talk to him, I want to introduce him a little bit and just talk about your background. So, hi, George. Hi, Ari. <laughs> so, I'm not going to read the bio for you. So, why don't you just tell everybody <laughs> real quick how you got to be doing what you're doing? Yeah. So, my journey started in this whole world, technically going back to when I was about 15. I struggled with bulimia for 12 years, which then led me from like a pretty crappy home to joining the Marine Corps and running away as fast as possible. 2004, I went to Somalia, almost lost both my legs. I spent 12 months in a wheelchair, gained 100 pounds, had six surgeries. They wanted to med set me. I said, fuck you, because <laughs> I was scared to go home. Medically separate me. They said I was no longer fit for duty. So then I decided to do a half Ironman triathlon. I tied the world record for a standing box jump. Kept going, went back to Afghanistan 2010, ended up having seven concussions in three years. And at the end of that road, they're like, hey, like, no, like legitimately, like you can't stay in anymore, like bleeding on your brain, fluid on your brain. And when I was in Afghanistan, I struggled, I stumbled upon paleo. So I read a book. I actually read Tim's book, Tim Ferriss, and then found Rob Wolf, read the book. And I was like, this is a great way to control my bulimia. So I'm going to teach myself how to cook. Came home from Afghanistan started posting recipes on Facebook. Like, of course, I had seven fans. They were my friends and family. I came up with this crappy name, Civilized Caveman Cooking Creations. Horrible decision. It's now just Civilized Caveman. Took a couple years. And, um, and what started happening was people were just really gravitating towards what I was posting. I wasn't pretending to be some sort of chef. I was like, I'm making stuff off YouTube, teaching myself how to do this. That led to creating a blog on Blogger uh, back in 2010, which made me like one of the top first five paleo blogs. And then the Marine Corps said, hey, we're booting you out. And I'm like, great. I don't want to work for anybody again. I'll figure out this blogging thing. And that led to me taking all the recipes I created. I launched an ebook, which ebooks weren't like really popular in 2010. It was called Caveman Feast. We did like $1.3 million on a $27 Word document. Then we turned it into an app. We hit number one in the world with Apple and iTunes, got featured as the top health app of 2015. You know, built the blog up to like 2.3 million uniques a month, you know, with no paid media whatsoever. Then I realized I don't like cooking. <laughs> like I really hate cooking. I hate dishes, I hated the food photography after I wrote my book. Oh yeah, then I wrote a book, hit number four in the world, 22 weeks in a row. I photographed the whole thing, did all that stuff. And then I, I started figuring out that underneath it all, like I loved connecting with people, which led me to kind of marketing. And I shifted my lens a little bit and uh, we still have the food blog and now I have a marketing consulting agency and I've worked with Adidas, Men's Health, Reebok, Titleist, TaylorMade, Onnit, Vital Proteins, and I do their digital strategy and uh, I pontificate all day, but it works most of the time. So that's, that's my story in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, 
Thank you again for Thanks, being Aria. here. I have to get out of my podcast mode. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, like we're here together. So actually, I was trying to remember the other day. Do you remember how we met? Yeah, oh, somebody introduced us. Oh but, no, when you were at Leverage, I was the Leverage client. That, okay, that's what and it was. I that's what I stand it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I need to talk to somebody, <laughs> and I got you on the phone, and then we started talking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I kind of thought. I wasn't sure. Okay. So what does the customer journey mean to you? The customer journey for me, making sure that everybody is taking care of every step of every funnel, every email, every transaction, so they feel like they matter. Okay, good. And one of the things that I certainly learned from you is this idea of like nobody left behind, right? So like, how do you, why does that matter for marketing and how does that sort of translate? (laughs) Yeah. So one of the pillars that I teach is that everyone comes home or you die trying. Right, And I, I feel like we live in this world, and there's nothing wrong with this world, but we spend our days focusing on conversion rate. Right, Like if I send 100 people through, I'm going to get three. And then we try to get another 100 more. And I was like, great. Well, you guys keep doing that. I'm going to spend all my time getting the 97 that said no once to say yes and come into my home. And with what I've done at scale, I mean, I've spent with my clients collectively in the last year, probably $200 million in Facebook advertising. Like we've tested this stuff extensively. And on some things we're finding it's taking 26 touch points to take somebody from a cold, never heard of my brand consumer to buying a $49 supplement. And so with that, we started getting really creative. And so now I know that the more places I can have to be in relationship with people in as many different domains or modalities as possible, the better chance I have of building an authentic relationship, being front of mind for these people, getting social awareness, getting brand triggers built in, social triggers around the board, have people talk about my brand, and ultimately trust my brand to make a buying decision. So you know, when we designed value ladders, which you and I have talked at length about, you know, a lot of people like launch a product, they put it right in the middle, they miss the beginning and they miss like the end. And, and we always try to find a way to make sure that everybody feels like they matter, whether they gave us their credit card or not. Now, trust me, I love when people give us their credit card. Like that is the ultimate goal, right? Providing a service or a solution for them to have an experience or be fascinated, as Sally says. But a lot of people are only one touch point away or one decision away or one conversation away from actually making that choice. And so we have to kind of go the extra mile. So that, that's kind of where that came from. And so the 26 touch points, like, is that a Facebook ad? Is yeah, that like, so, what yeah. is it? So that, the 26 touch points specifically was a massive paid media campaign we were doing with a, with a supplement. And what it was, it was a mixture of around 10 pieces of content, a Facebook group, a many chat sequence, and emails. But the way that it was designed, and it took me like two months to design this thing, is that everybody got seen... Everyone saw the ad. We went really wide for prospecting with Facebook and everybody saw the first touch point. And then after that touch point, there were a couple pillars. There were sleep, mood, energy, and weight loss. And we wrote pillar content for each one of them. And so after they saw the first piece, we pixeled them and then we started sending them many chat messages and emails the same day we posted that content. So touch point one was, here's the product. You know, are you interested? They don't buy. Touch point two, we went after sleep. And we sent them an ad about sleep, feature benefits of sleep, put them on a piece of content around sleep with an opt-in and a lead magnet. Touch point three, we went to mood, did the same exact thing. Touch point four, we went to energy. Touch point five, we went to weight loss. Then touch point six, we said, hey, you know, because dynamic Facebook ads, we said, hey, we know you read about sleep and mood. And so that's why we want you to try this product. Here's a 20% off coupon. And then if they didn't go on that one, then we went more with four to five more pieces of content and then it all ended with a free trial. And so initially, we launched that offer as free trial first 
And when we did that, we were losing like $400,000 a month. When we swapped it, we became profitable like 1.3 million a month, like within 30 days, just from mapping out that journey and, and understanding like people's decision-making points, actually understanding their pain points, solving them, and then giving them things that didn't require them to buy, but actually helped them create a solution on their own, which then our product became a supplement to that routine. So, I mean, it got longer, but, but that was the basic premise of it. So. so I want to make an important distinction here because I've experienced this as well, where it's very easy to get leads. You can pay for leads all day long and they can convert too, but it's very rare for them to stay if, and not ask for refunds <laughs> if you don't have build them up first and have this sort of nurturing. It's got to be an experience where even if they're a warm lead, yeah. I mean, it's easier then, but they still need to be educated on what they're getting into, right? The, this idea of people buying not because they understand you, but because they feel understood and understanding like the sort of indoctrination that goes into them, not only becoming a, uh, a purchaser, but a customer, a client, I guess. Yeah. For me, like it's all about like the law of reciprocity. I try to keep my bank account as full as possible. Right. And I mean this in the most ethical way possible, but I want you to feel bad when you say no to me. Like that's my goal that I've given you so much that it actually hurts to walk away. <laughs> That's, that, that's the key at the end of the day. Yeah, so in that, the content that you're talking about in this case, was that just blog posts or yeah, videos? That, or that one, what we did is we, we did a blog post and then we put all of them into one PDF. And so- the, All of what? All of the, the sleep, the energy, the workout, everything else, we put it into one massive PDF. And so each blog post had an opt-in on the bottom of it to, to get, get all them the on others. an email sequence and a many chat sequence. But yeah, and it was, it was amazing content. Like we were like, this is how to design sleep routines. This is why you're waking up. This is how to find your chronotype. Like we went into all of it, but we were basically trying to speak to each possible reason that somebody would be there wondering about that supplement or that product. And in those pieces of content, was there a call to action? in nope. them? The Nothing. only call to action on the bottom was if they wanted, they read the sleep one, they could click to the next article or they could opt in to get the PDF with all of them together, which then the first page of the PDF was an embedded coupon. And then, you know, we had an email nurture sequence on the back end of that too. And how long was that email nurture sequence? The whole thing took place. The longest somebody could be in that was, I think, 14 days. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's another one too, is that you see all sorts of, this is a good point as well, is that there's all different lengths of nurture sequences. The longest I know of is Brendan Burchard's, which is uh, 450 yep. days, I think. Yep every single day yep. for like the next year and a half of your life yeah which seems crazy to me but and the small like ours is six you know and it's uh, over the course of 12 days 14 is it 14 of them or? Four, four, yeah it was 14 that one was 14 emails and it was an email a day and but just to distinction that was on the acquisition piece once they became a customer we have a 365 day drip on the back end of that for customer fulfillment which is pillared by interest and like previous purchasing behavior and we're in a massive CRM, so in that in that case, we we send conditional content based on like what they came in, how much money they spent, things along those lines. Yeah, but so I mean, how long does it take to write all of that content? I think that that's like very foreboding for, for sure. a lot of people, right? I mean, I mean, my goal, I tell people all the time, like if if we are going to go to the length to get a customer, we have to go to the length to actually be in a healthy relationship, right? It's like getting married, getting back from the honeymoon, and moving out. <laughs> like you're not going to stay married. You're going to get divorced. But we spend all this time on the front end acquiring these people. And we're like, trust us, use our product. This will change your life. We love you. And then the second they're in, we're like, we don't fucking care about you. Yeah. And that's the message that's there. So yeah, sometimes the content gets heavy, but I feel like a lot of times people overthink it, right? 
we create these sequences and nurture sequences just based on simple things that we notice every day. Comments we're getting on social media, the languaging people are using, common FAQs like managing expectations, setting the context of the relationship. So start with one a week, and then every time you write one email, write two, and then add it. And then as you get ahead, just add it, and get ahead and add it. And the longest one I did, I did a fulfillment sequence for one of my products. The product was $27, I wrote 270 emails. And we averaged a 71% open rate and a 41% click-through rate over 14,000 people for the length of that sequence. Yeah, and then the other thing that you were talking about was ManyChat, and ManyChat, for those who don't know, is a chatbot system for Facebook, which we're gonna show you actually tomorrow how to build yep. a very basic one, and it's gonna blow your minds. But how does that fit into your marketing and sort of marketing in general now? For sure. So, you know, it's probably gonna get abused just like everything else, but if you have the context with ManyChat, I like to meet people where they are, right? So if someone's on Facebook, I try to give them their content on Facebook. If they're in email, on email, website, website, Instagram, Instagram. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is we try to get somebody from the platform that they wake up in the morning and they're like, hey, I'm going to spend my time on Instagram. And then we interrupt them and say, go somewhere else, right? And then we do the same thing on Facebook. And there's a lot of like subconscious resistance to that that people have, which they might not notice. So many chat gives me a tool to take things a step deeper on Facebook without offending everybody as well, right? We can have people comment, you know, in exchange for a PDF or a quiz, and then we can segment them as they go. So I know when they get to the back end, like to the end of the funnel, that it's who it was supposed to be for, and it's actually valuable to them. And then everybody else that chose not to comment or chose not to click isn't upset at me, isn't pissed off, and there's no resistance. So they're more likely to consume my content or comment tomorrow or like and come back tomorrow. So many chat for me, it's like that one one step further in the, the depth of a relationship. Like everybody else is posting on Facebook and we're like, hey, that's awesome. You can post, we'll give you this. And we can start a two-way conversation that strengthens that relationship right from the get-go. Right. So in terms of content or also with the uh, the conditional stuff rather, what CRM are you using for that? I personally use ConvertKit for like yeah. all my personal stuff. And then up at scale, we use like Clavio. So what's Clavio? It's um, don't. Okay. <laughs> it's 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 Never like heard of it. it's enterprise and it's a pain in the ass. Like we have like somebody Beyond Infusion Clavio, yeah, Magento. Oh, Magento, like yeah, okay. Yeah, up in that world and their only job is to understand the system. Like we have someone on staff that's only job is to understand how that freaking thing works. Like Bronto is another one. Okay. Well, that yeah, I've never heard of Clavio. That's the thing is like you can go crazy thinking of all these different sort of conditional scenarios, right? For so sure. like let's like pull back for a sec, right? And like diminishing how, returns. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is dangerous. Ari's rule is probably the best one. Like he gives himself 15 minutes. If you get deeper than that, you should stop. Right. Because it's to the point, like if you have a thousand people coming into like a many chat sequence and by the end of your job and what you build out, three people hit it, like not the best use of your time. There's probably something missing beforehand that could have solved the problem. I feel like one of the things that we do is we overcomplicate everything because, I mean, I'm a marketer, right? So like I want everything to be unique and tailored and personalized at scale, but personalization does come with a cost and it's not always for the best of everybody. We can do it different ways. So I try to keep things really simple. Like if we're doing a post like, and I find like one or three buckets, that's it. And then I try to get them on a journey in that bucket because most likely if you think hard enough about it, you'll have that overarching bucket where you can provide value, take them on a journey, and then take them somewhere else. Like we don't have to do it all in Messenger or all in email or something along those lines. Sure, yeah, of course. And then so what, let, let's talk about another pillar. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, yeah. so another pillar, um, you know, one of my favorite ones is, uh, you know, we have to stop focusing on one night stands and start becoming in long-term relationships with people, right? So it's transactions versus transformations. And that's how I see marketing. And, and I use email all the time as a context. You know, I gave a talk at CHS and this was really funny, but I had a slide up there and I, I built this funnel and I showed everybody the funnel and we're really good. They buy a product, right? People come in, they get acquired, they buy a product, you give them like three, four, five emails to nurture them. Basically what we're really doing is trying to get them not to refund our fucking money, right? Like that's what everybody's doing and get them to use the product. But then we kind of go dark, right? Like it's three weeks, four weeks. And then we pull them out and we send them to like the creepy guy in the candy van with an affiliate offer, right? <laughs> like that's exactly what we're doing. Our uncle Ned next door that gives you the EBGBs. And then we wonder why we're getting bounce backs. We're getting unsubscribes, right? And so you have to respect your list and you have to focus on building these long-term relationships because the value of a customer that stays for life is a lot better than all these ones that come in and churn through. Right. Andre Chaperone is a, a master at this. He wrote a course called Autoresponder Madness. Like he's been doing this so for a long man. time. Yeah. There's no way for me to say it. Like you just will not win when you're focusing all your time on those one-time transactions, right? Because you have to understand your value ladder. You have to understand your your customer journey, the lifetime value of that customer, and all those behaviors. And so the basics of it is just making sure that. You ask yourself, like, would I be okay if my grandmother went through this funnel? Like, I call it the grandmother test, right? My grandmother's why. I think she's like 91, right, Steve? Yeah. But our grandmother, like, got on the internet with web TV, right? Like, that's when <laughs> she got started. And she still, from her nursing home, forwards us forward emails all day. <laughs> and the shit that she believes in and thinks that, like, is actually happening, this petition is going to stop nuclear war from an AOL email address is insane. <laughs> like... It's, it's painful, actually, and I just let her live in that world, and it's amazing. But I ask myself, I'm like, would my grandmother use this? Would like, she feel good about this? Would I be happy if my 14-year-old daughter went through this funnel, right? And if the answer is no, I don't send it. And it should always cover those wickets, like just to make sure that we're going that extra step and above and beyond to deliver the highest value of customer experience and customer journey, right? We have to be fascinating people. And we have to remember that how we make them feel dictates whether they open our email tomorrow, they come back to our social media, they buy our next product, or more importantly, they talk about our brand, they talk about our business. You know Jonah Berger, right? Contagious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you guys haven't read the book Contagious, it's amazing. But it's, it's something like in a 60 or 90 second conversation, the average person gives eight to 10 brand recommendations and non-recommendations. That's who I want talking about me. Right? Like, I want to be in those conversations. When somebody sits down for breakfast and eats a piece of bacon, I want them to talk about me, which is how I built my Facebook page to 300,000 people. I posted about bacon for two years. <laughs> Legitimately, I'm a paleo food blogger, and all I did was post about bacon. I made sales videos in bacon suits. I made bacon-themed everything. Our hashtag is hugs and bacon. And then what ended up happening after critical mass is someone's like, I was at breakfast and I ate bacon. I told my friend about you. And then someone's like, I came because I was at breakfast and my friend ate bacon and talked about you. And what's this bacon stuff? But it's, it's getting there to really fascinate people and add so much value that they want to talk about you, that they love to be in relationship with your brand. Like you, like people in your tribe, people in your audience, your team members, like they're enrolled in your vision. But it's not because you're a maestro. It's actually because of all the value that you add and how people feel on the backside of that experience. I hope so. Yeah, so when you're writing this kind of content too and you want to have these long-term relationships, 
are you sort of trying to get into the mindset of the ideal customer or are you trying to make them, you know, like what? Yeah, so I think this is where people overcomplicated. Yeah. Another, another pillar I have is listen to what the customer wants yeah. and then actually do something about it. That's the part where we tend to miss. You know, we read Ask by Ryan and we get all these questions, we get these surveys and we put them in buckets and then we do all this stuff and then we keep emailing them the same way, right? And it's really, really simple and it's not just on email, right? You can figure out what your clients want on social media. Go read your FAQs, go read your reviews, go to Amazon and read your competitors' reviews, go to Amazon and read your FAQs, right? Like we get most of our data by paying attention because what happens when you piss somebody off? Somebody okay, goes on Twitter, they start tweeting about you and they tell you everything that they feel, whether it's justified or not. But you can use that data to actually solve these people's problems and then help them and design their customer journey. So what we do, I do this thing with my email. Um, I call it the five-part email recipe. And I do this a lot on a lot of lower ticket stuff and a lot of stuff that's like free on the back end. But like over the series of five emails, I tend to typically not link out of an email three times. I ask an open-ended question, then I link to like a video or something along those lines. While I'm segmenting down and collecting data, you know, like when I send a recipe out and it's a crock pot chicken recipe and they click on it, I actually tag them crock pot and I tag them chicken just so I have that data because then six months from now when I release a crock pot book and it's got 55 chicken recipes in it, I can send it to the mom who's 33 with two kids who only cooks in crock pots with chicken. Right, but then nobody else on my list is offended, and and the only way I learn that data is by asking or by paying attention to their behaviors or their comments. Right, and so that's why, like everybody swears on the Instant Pot guy, I only created an Instant Pot product because they outsold Amazon on Cyber Monday with their own products, and everyone in my audience was literally like begging for Instant Pots. How do I cook with Instant Pot? How do I make these Instant Pot recipes? I'm like, all right, fine, fuck it, we'll do it. Right. Camera's out, cooked for four days, recorded everything, here's your Instapot course, right? And the only reason we did that was because we listened to what they want, and then people love it. They Except they didn't want a course, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I fudged on that one. I was in the middle of a travel schedule. Uh, don't try to sell a simple appliance with a course. <laughs> Just going to share that lesson right now. Uh, it's kind of contradictory. So people are like, oh my god, this thing saves me all this time. Why do I need a course to use it? <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, I put this together overnight, my copy sucked. Like, I gotta change the title, I gotta change the branding. But people still bought it, like, super excited about it, but I did get some good feedback on that one. <laughs> and I saw, and actually, I mean, well, we might be able to show them tomorrow your mini yeah. chat sequence on that, which was really cool. And the way it's visual makes a lot of sense. You're like, which can, one yeah. do you have? Yeah, yeah we'll we can pull it up. We'll I, what, I, what I did for that is actually, I knew that a lot of my audience already had Instapots, and I knew that in order for me to solve their problem, I needed to be able to basically put them in one of two buckets. You have an Instapot, or you don't have an Instapot. And so what I designed was a ManyChat diagnosis, and I called them Dr. Instapot. And so send me a message, and Dr. Instapot will diagnose your needs. And it was a couple of questions like, hey, do you have an Instapot or not? Yes, awesome. Is it still in the box? Yes, awesome. Don't be scared of it. These are the simple buttons to use, and here's the water test. Or no, awesome, how often do you cook with it? But all roads led to the same place, but the personalization at scale is what got people to feel connected to it and like, oh, he gets me and he understands me. And I think it took us 15 minutes to build that quiz and we put, I think, 11,000 people through it and in many chat we had a 98% click-through rate. So it was nuts. And how are you driving people to it in the first place? Was it just ads? Uh, with that one, I did no paid media for that one. 
My Facebook page is 275,000 people, 100,000 Instagram. So that was all organic because I wanted to test it to them, see what I could do differently. So I did a ton of live videos, you know. Also, George has no affiliation with Instapot, by the way. None, none. Nope. Um, I did a ton of live videos. I think I did five. I did like five days in a row, like how to use it, how to overcome objections. And then each one of them tied into that same many chat sequence. And then each one of those just delivered messages right to the opt-in page and the sales page. I have a quick question, especially when you're going in and building these, you said it took us like 15 minutes to yeah. build the quiz. Yeah. What advice would you give this room? Because there's like half of us are quick starts and some people yeah. are getting the details how to just yeah. get done. Yeah, so many chat. Uh, my number one tip is to get a huge stack of sticky notes and map out your journey on a floor or on a wall before you build it. Because if you don't, you're going to deviate and you're going to start adding things that don't convert don't have any valuable return to it. So like- We're gonna do that. Yeah, I should own stock in 3M. You know, <laughs> Once you go through Lean Six Sigma, like you, you, you own <laughs> stock in 3M. But we use it for everything. And then and set the rule like Ari does, right? Like whatever you map out in that task, if you're using the Pomodoro tech, whatever you get to, that's what it is. Close the door, close the loop and get it up. Because I think that's where it, it gets to the point. And we've tested this, like we've built these sequences and I, I copied one to your account from a customer service journey, I helped a company, a silicone ring company, and they had five or six customer service reps, and now they have one because we did everything else with ManyChat. So we reduced the salary like of five full-time employees, but some of those sequences are, are literally 65 messages deep. Like this thing took like three weeks to build. It was, and I tried to build it in this thing, and that was not happening. Like I needed 10-foot whiteboard. 17 colors of sticky notes and we went through it and then we just started building it and it was overbuilt it was over engineered and most of people's problems were solved by like step 20 right the rest of it was for us because we wanted to feel good about ourselves and i want to show how awesome i was at building many chat sequences right <laughs> it was all ego that's really all it was um but yeah that's an amazing question so i just try to map everything out beforehand and then i stick to the plan and then execute the plan and, and you'll get feedback like you'll know because people won't be shy about telling you how it sucked. How do you drive people to Facebook Messenger as a customer service method? Like instead of going to your website or something? Oh, so yeah. So the reason we did that for the that company is they get a lot of their customer service. They've always told their audience, any customer service, send us it's a Facebook, Facebook message. So with that, we just built the menu to be like the top three. And then as soon as a message came in, we had an auto response. And then we basically asked them like what they needed. And there's an option to talk to somebody live right there. But then that is what basically got them in. And we solved probably eight to 10 problems without a human being now, where it used to be 10 out of 10 required a human being. What kind of service or product was it? It's a silicone oh, ring. Oh, right. Yeah. So what, I mean, like, what would people complain about? So the biggest thing is, wrong, well, so they have a lifetime warranty. So if you break it, rip it, they'll replace it. Wrong sizing. And then it's always the biggest ones are shipping information, wrong sizing, or they ripped and replaced it and they wanted a lifetime warranty. Mm -hmm. That's great. And uh, just to one step it deeper, because I actually love this one, what we found out with that audience, actually that audience was like 50% men, 50% women. Like there was no sway in either direction. And we had people dropping off the many chat sequence like on like message three and I couldn't figure out why. So what I did is I put the first message to say, hey, thanks for reaching Enzo. Like, we love you. We want to work with you. But quick question, uh, who would you rather talk to, Ron or Rita? And then once they chose man or woman, they got the same exact sequence with a different languaging pattern. And then literally, like, everybody goes through that sequence now. Because now I let them choose their customer service rep, which there is no Ron or Rita. It's Jamie and Shannon.
on the back end. Um, but that choice actually helped people from stop dropping off. And now almost everybody makes it through the sequence. Huh. And so are you saying, was it like man wanted to talk to a woman? Yep. And then woman wanted to talk to a woman. So Ron just didn't get any love? Ron gets no love whatsoever. No, Ron gets no love, but it's interesting what choice does. Yeah. The same exact sequence, but with a different languaging pattern. So like Ron was really short and aggressive. And then Rito like was really empathetic and compassionate. It was multiple messages versus one message. Right. And so it, and it didn't take us long. I mean, we duplicated it over and uh, we probably spent 15 minutes duplicating it. Why do you think that is? Why do you reckon that was such a difference? I just think I think when people have the ability to choose. Right. So I'm not trying to get somebody to send me a message. They already sent me a message. Right. So they already came to me. And so now I'm kind of empowering them being like, hey, I care about you. I know that this is your experience. So how can I make the experience better for you? They're in control. Yes. You, they think they are. Do you have other areas where you kind of implement that same? We've done it via email as well. It's just really, really easy in Messenger because it's it's just a quick reply and it's wherever they go. It gets a little more complicated, but yeah, like sales pages, you know, the world that we're running into, there's a website, it's still in beta called like Write Message, right? But based on the parameters of a URL that comes in, it changes the headline and the copy. Things like that are, are going to be, that's why I have that pillar, uh, personalization at scale. Right, because people are so discerning in 2018. They get hit with, I mean, hundreds of ads a day, hundreds of offers in every single space. And so the only way to really, really add value and stand out and convert is to be personalized at scale. Yeah, I can also add to that that like one of our best subject lines in an email that we sent is the subject line is the person's first name. Yep. That's it. So like it's just John. We do that. Was that yours? What's that? First name? First name for nine word email. First name is first. Yeah. yeah, it works. It's yeah. like the, one of the best things yeah, ever if you, I mean, if you have email questions, that's the guy. Yeah, no, I won't. That's, yeah, that's sure. the OG over there. <laughs> All roads lead to Dean when it comes to email, yes. I mean, I'm probably pontificating shit he talked about 10 years ago. <laughs> I just put a different present around it. Malty. George, I was just going to ask you, what's the, um, like, the size? Because what I've seen is that some people use Messenger on their phones where you yeah. see a bit more on the screen. Yeah. You see it on the computers that, like, very, have you found any? Yeah, so we try to not do super long. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make with Messenger is they blow out that character limit, and I have to scroll three times on my phone, and I'm out, right? So we try to keep it as conversational as possible, right? So just like if you were iMessaging me back and forth, that's the rule that I tend to use. Like I want people to be in a quick conversation, like to feel natural and authentic and use languaging. I use emojis. I write like WTF. Like I don't spell out words. I speak in the language that people most likely speak in when they text and when they use Messenger, right? Because it's, it, it's the only way to make it feel human and, and personalized. So shorter the better. Like make the point, take them on the journey and don't be afraid to split it up into a couple messages either. Right, like there's there's natural breaks. Like, and I mean, one of my biggest pet peeves in life is when somebody texts me. They don't send me one message. Send me five fucking messages. Yeah, drives me nuts. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of responding, and I get them. But somehow on Messenger, people actually respond well to that because that's how people text all the time. So. Well, the other the other thing that I think is annoying when you see the dot 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 that they're typing, yeah. for, and you're waiting. Yeah, and like like waiting, and you're like, yeah. holy shit, this is so, gonna be a really long message. In many chat, you can put delays in there between messages. So right? it's typing. Uh, can we stop pretending that we're actually fucking talking live? Like, can we just stop? Because everybody knows 
So like, don't be afraid to be like, hey, my robot's gonna talk to you. Or like, Give hey, like we, na we named it Dr. Instapot. It's not me, right? And we named it Ron and Rita. And we introduced Ron and Rita as the customer service people in there that are gonna take them on an automated flow. And then don't put those pauses in there for like 10 seconds. It doesn't take you 10 seconds to type. So like naturally, so test your flows yourself because as you go through them, you'll experience it. You'll, you'll send your own message to yourself and you're like, oh, awesome. And then you're like, uh, and then you just see the dots and then the message comes and four more come. Yeah, so, so test those and make sure it, it, it feels natural like a human being. So how many of you have a Facebook page for your business? How many don't have a Facebook page for your business? Okay. Uh, how many of you have Facebook groups for your business? Good. Good. We, so, we can talk about that. Yeah, no, we, we, we will in a, in a minute actually. And so, and I know, Malti, you do, but how many of you have a chat bot already on your Facebook page? Yeah, okay. In mini chat, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so most of you don't. So how many of you engage with people over Facebook Messenger through your Facebook page often? Okay, great, cool. Good. This isn't a bad thing that you don't have it. Yeah, yeah, no, and we'll, like we can, we'll set it up in a few minutes. So. Yeah. Okay, great. Yes. Do you have a, a visual for people in the audience who are more visual understanders of information on like how you map that out? Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah, gonna, yeah. Ari's going to cover it, and I'll let him. I copied some of mine to his account so they can show you yeah. everything so that we've We're going to do the exercise of actually mapping it out with Post-it notes, and then I'll, I'll be able to show you. And then we what can, it looks like in the flow. Mackenzie, I'll copy the Dr. Instapot one to your account. That way we can show everybody. Yeah, okay, yeah. great. Yeah, so, but start to think through that of like what the kind of inquiries are. Not only, I mean, customer service is nice, but we can use this to qualify leads and really sort of meet people where they're at to see how you can serve them in one way or another. Yeah, and, and just because I want to further answer Mackenzie's question from earlier. Don't overcomplicate it all, right? There's probably, if you look at your business or the messages that you receive or your inbound marketing, and no matter what space you're in, there's probably one to three things that stand out immediately that you're sick of answering yourself. Like there's overloaded customer service questions about something or FAQs about something. Start there because you already have the data and you already know that people are consuming that and asking that content, which will free up a lot more space for you to then use that customer service rep for someone else or for you to stop doing it and like really optimize it and outsource it to a bot that's doing it for you. And then you can take people on journeys, post those, those responses and comments. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about another, one more pillar. Yeah, so my other favorite pillar is everything that you're doing, make sure you're either learning or serving. And if it doesn't accomplish one of those things, you're wasting your fucking time. That's it, like that's it. When you post on social, when you post on email, when you post a blog post, you either need to be learning about your demographic, your avatar, your customers, so you can serve them or serve them based on the needs that you've learned from paying attention, reading reviews, reading FAQs, reading comments on your social. It's probably one of the most important things because something is not always better than nothing. Just to hit an algorithm or to play the game on social, that's actually not how it works. And if any of you were enrolled in social media about three weeks ago, the algorithm changed to now rank you based on the depth of comments on your feeds on Instagram and Facebook. And comments under five words on Instagram don't even count as comments anymore. Yeah, wrap your head around that one, right? So all those engagement circles people use, all those things, they don't. So they get counted as like ghosted engagement. And then you have an hour to respond to those comments in your feed before they stop counting for engagement. I was at Instagram two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah, so. I hadn't heard any of that, yeah. If you comment too fast, they'll like freeze your account. 
Okay. No, not if you comment too fast. Okay. If people comment too fast with under five words, it's part of like those engagement circles. Yeah. But they're discerning. There's other factors in that algorithm, right? But people, they, they know that Instagram was built by engagement circles and groups of people literally like going like for like, comment for comment, right? Emoji, emoji, emoji. Great post, right? I just posted about my dog dying. It's not a great fucking post. Right. Right, but like oh, they're yeah. they're everywhere. Yeah, I see. Like I'm loving your feed. Yes, yeah. right, because all those bots <laughs> exist. And I don't fault the entrepreneurs that hustled and made these bots and you know monetized it. But yeah, there there is this whole thing that you know 2018, 2019. Like if you're not in relationships with your customers, you're not going to have customers. That that's really what it is. And so if you're going to have social, and you're going to post on social, and you're going to create a place for people to come to you and learn, it's your moral obligation to see that all the way through which is why I love the changes because we've been doing this since day one. What's some of the things that you can do with either these methods or something else to turn people into raving fans? Yeah, answer their damn questions. <laughs> right, like how many of you have ever gone to a page, a business page, a big celebrity page and left a comment? Liars, all of you. Everybody's left comments. How many of you actually have ever gotten a response? No, rarely. How many of you have gone and commented again? Yeah. <laughs> None. We train our customers how to be our customers. And when you say no, either by saying no or I don't give a shit enough about you to respond to your comment, they are no longer your customer because your competitor just won. So everybody asks me all the time, every keynote, how do you scale one at a time, right? So we had a rule with Civilized Caveman. Um, I did not have a team for five years and I built that Facebook page up to 275,000 people I responded to every comment and every message every day for five years. I never paid for a like, and I got that page to 275,000 people. And there were days I would do live videos. One of my live videos had five and a half million views. We had 3,900 comments. It took me seven hours <laughs> to respond. I probably made 100 grand off that video just from responding because it was a promo video for like a $17 product, right? <laughs> so what would you rather have? Somebody respond to your shit and all those comments or make 100 grand by doing seven hours of work and getting people to actually know that you care, right? So it's one of those things. If you're going to build it, they're not going to come anymore. You have to bring them and you have to be in relationship with them at scale. I think that the way you put it is really good, which is you have to train your customers how to be your customers. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so obviously that's a big one, but then in terms of specifically like trying to get people to share the message more, right? It's the same yeah. thing? Yeah. Don't ask them to share it. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm not going to share because you tell me to. I'm going to share because it invokes emotion. It's going to make me look smart. It's going to make me look funny. It's going to make me look credible. Or I'm going to cause disruption. Those are typically the four things that people share content for. Go through your Facebook right now and look at all your friends. None of them are like, hey, have an amazing day. They're like, United killed a dog. <laughs> oh, wait, United just shipped a German Shepherd to Japan, right? Like, I'm never flying United again, right? Like they're all enrolled in sharing current events. Like I hate Trump or I hate blah, blah, blah. And like all this stuff. But if you look at it all, it all fits into one bucket. It's either like, I want to look more credible. I want to be funny. I want to cause disruption. Or I just want, you know, people to think I'm smarter. And then you then take that on your side and you look at your customers. Like what are you doing for your customers? What, what journey are you trying to take them on? So I tell everybody, look at your customers like they're a before picture and then you want them to be the after picture. What's going to get them there? Like what product or service do you have? What messaging do you have? What journey are you taking them on? And if you can't answer that question, you need to be able to. But once you can, it's really easy to figure out what they want to see on social media. 
What makes them tick? What holds them accountable? What gets them to comment? Which one gets them to like? Which one tags their friends? Because you're actually taking them on that journey to that after picture and solving their problems. Yeah, I think my last question, but is we have all sorts of industries here, but mm -hmm. if you have somebody who's never done this kind of marketing before at yep. all, yep. what's like the first thing that they should probably try doing? Yeah, if you've never done this before, the first thing I would do is start a Facebook group. Yep. That's it, start a Facebook group. You own the page, like within reason, Facebook owns it, but you aren't fighting against an algorithm. You can ask questions when people join. You can dictate the cadence, you can get feedback. They're focusing all of 2018 on groups, which is why now in groups we have the ability to remove users, remove their posts. We can see our top contributors every week, every month. There's admin tools that help you facilitate groups because Facebook wants people to be in communities, not in these one-off like dictator relationships, right? So. One of the easiest ways to build a product, launch a product, sell a product is to use a Facebook group and be in relationship with your buyers. Use a Facebook group for fulfillment. Like I know Dean does on the back end, every group, right? Yeah. New one, yeah. And then what I do is we have a free group and then we have paid groups for every single program. How many of you use card abandonment sequences? No one? Good, that makes me happy. Yeah. We send cart gifts. We send card abandonment gifts. So when we create a product like the Instapot product, right? Wait, does everyone know what that, what that is? A card on? abandonment sequence, somebody adds a product to your cart, they leave they don't, and don't yeah. buy. Then you email them like, hey, you forgot something. <laughs> like, no, I didn't forget, I fucking left. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> please, do, please do not insult my intelligence, right? So my email goes something like, hey, I know you didn't forget, you left because I suck. And I knew you were interested in the Instapot, so I made a free preview for you. Here's five recipes. Whether you buy the course or not, I still want you to have these. And then the next email says, by the way, I ethically bribed you yesterday. Would you mind replying to this email and just telling me what it was that was missing for you? Do you already have one? Are you an expert, right? And it's an open response. Like you actually have to respond to these emails. And then the third one is like, hey, got it. I appreciate all your responses. I can't believe I forgot all of this. Question one, answer one. Question two, answer two. Question three, answer three. And I'm overcoming all the objections. And then the fourth one, if they're not a buyer at that point, they're not gonna buy, but it doesn't mean I don't wanna be in relationship with them. And so every single one of our sequences ends with come to our Facebook group, right? And so like, hey, I don't care whether you own it or not. I hope you bought somebody else's, but I'd still love to have you in our community. We post X, Y, and Z X amount of times a week, and I would love your feedback. So do me a favor. Go into the group, introduce yourself, and tell everybody where you came from. And how that typically works, and this is a free group, they go in and they're like, hey guys, super excited to be here. I was gonna buy the Instapot course, but I didn't think that I would be able to use it because it's kind of complicated. And then in my world, what happens is about 100 moms are like, are you kidding me? This saved my life. What are you doing? Where's Courtney? Courtney comments and she's like, George, I was George's biggest skeptic. This thing was fucking stupid. It wasn't gonna work. And then I made it and it changed my life. And then they're like, oh crap, where do I get the link, uh -huh. right? But it's not me. I'm not selling to them. I'm providing community in a safe space, right? And so that community becomes a home for everybody, whether they gave us their credit card or not, right? But now I don't have to go compete again, spend paid media to be in relationship with them. I ask them questions and we have our whole group. I have a couple documents I can send you guys. Um, one, uh, I have seven pages of an outline and vision of how I run Facebook groups and how I run Instagram. But the Facebook groups, and then we use that, we grow them up, and then they become lead magnet machines. We collect people's email addresses in the first three questions if you don't have it already. We give them another gift, and then we post very strategically 
in that group to either get feedback, to get beta testers for programs, to solve problems, or to sell to people. And we don't have to go compete with paid media. We build these groups, we keep them clean, and we scrub them like our email list. But you know, we started one, got 3,100 people in it in like, I don't know, four months, five months. And then we started another, we got up to like 54,000, but that one got a little out of hand because we couldn't clean it back then. But we use a free group as the catch-all. And then we have paid groups for fulfillment so people can have their experience and their journey. And uh, yeah, so Facebook groups, Facebook groups, Facebook groups, Facebook groups. So you deliver the course live in Facebook? Some of like, that's what, like Dean does a lot of that. Um, and I do a lot of it too. Like if we sell a course, you know, we'll sell the course on like, uh, well, like when you look at a value ladder, like in dollar signs, like $1 sign is free, $2 signs is DIY, $3 signs is done with you, four is done for you. Right. And so anything in the pillar, like free, they have their own course, like they log in, right. DIY, same thing. It's the done with you where they get access to a course, but then like we do live calls every week or, and we just do zoom live streamed into the group. So if we have coaching calls and we have members that want to be on zoom, they are. And if they not, we're still live streaming it into the group. And then we take that there and then you have the choice of either archiving that group or then keeping it going, you know, for the life of it. But yeah, there's, there's lots of ways along those lines. Yes. How do you see uh, Facebook group working in a service-oriented uh, vehicle? Yeah, no, I know. I, I mean, I know your company quite well. Um, I was actually shocked because I was giving advice to a VA the other day, and I started searching for VA Facebook groups, and I found about a thousand of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I was shocked. And she is a VA, and so what I told her is, I said, if you want unlimited client acquisition, start solving the small problems that everyone else thinks are too mundane in this Facebook group, and teach people. And I'm like, you're going to have a client acquisition machine in this group because you're not trying to sell your product. You're not trying to sell your service. You're solving the problems that everybody else thinks they're too good for. And you're going to be the one that they remember. So she just started a Facebook group and uh, she put like 150 people in it, like four days from going into, I call it ethical poaching. So this is what I do. You just, just add ethical to the front. You're good. Yes, you're good. Yeah. No, because I go into like other Facebook groups, right? And I, I told her to do this, make a separate Facebook account, like her own account, but put in her account, like who she is. Like she's a VA master teacher. There's a link to her group, like the top post is that one. And then go into these other groups where people ask questions and never get answers and just go answer everybody's fucking question. Just go answer them. So there's a very interesting psychological phenomenon where if you're able to articulate somebody's problem better than they can, they automatically associate you with the solution. And then what happens, they click through to your profile, they come to your group. You're not like, hey, come join my group. That's why I call it ethical because they're, they're coming to your profile, they're clicking through and then they're joining, right? right? But she, had, um, she got 150 people in three days doing that. So I think she spent like two hours a day commenting and then built that up. And she got a couple clients out of it already too. Yeah. What's up, Dean? So, yeah, I love these groups. I was closed um, groups, but I'm, I'm super aware and vigilant that I, it feels to me like anything that Facebook is encouraging and supporting and encouraging people to build is only in you know pursuit of creating their next super premium targeted advertising inventory. Yeah, they're gonna right say, now. Yeah. Everybody thinks this is fantastic because yep. I've got this closed wall around all of my people, yeah. and nobody can get at them. The same way that a long time ago, Facebook was encouraging everybody to build a Facebook business page and yeah. build your community so you go right to their news feed. Yeah. I just think with the groups and video, 
yeah. that that's what they're they're grooming everybody to build super targeted premium advertising. Well, they are, and they're also actually going to make it so we can charge for group access on platform. So yeah, they're making course. the social media of membership sites. I, I had a lot of conversation about this. You're a thousand percent right. So you have to pay to control your environment. But the end, but the, it's free and they get free. Yeah. No, but they'll also get a piece of each transaction. But then. then like we can charge for it. We'll be able to charge recurring group membership through Messenger for group access that's dead and so and so it's like a new membership site and so that's an amazing point right and this is this is right now and i think that's what's so important like pillars of marketing or transformation marketing whatever you want to call it it's all relationship based and people based where the tactics will always change based on the environment basically what facebook decides to do right since they own half the internet and so like that's why like we collect email addresses when we have somebody come into our facebook group i'll get you in a second uh, yeah, when we have somebody come into a Facebook group and we build these relationships in email and in Messenger and in a group and on our own website so we can stay in that relationship. And so, I mean, I don't know if Instagram 3.0 is going to come out tomorrow. I don't know if, you know, some new membership site is going to come out or a better social platform. So we just always focus on those relationships. So when we do move, people know where to find us and they'll come with us. Yes. I mean. And just to piggyback on what Dean said, I, I'm sure people aren't reading the Facebook TOS, but they actually own any content that you post there. Yep. Um, so if you're doing a lot of Facebook Lives and putting your own content there, you should make sure you have it like somewhere else too. Yeah. If you get shut out, they decide to change the game. Yeah, and they, they've owned it for a long And just to piggyback on that, I remember I started posting food photos like, seven years ago and I used to watermark them and I'm like, why? They own them anyways. Like anybody can repost these and I can't do shit about it because when I uploaded the photo to Facebook, I waived my rights yeah. to basically owning that content. So I stopped caring about that stuff a long time ago. So what's your break point for things you give away for free? PDFs that you send out, like what becomes IP you want to protect and what becomes your generous? I don't want to protect, I don't want to protect anything. I don't. I don't give a shit. That's what I say. I don't. I don't give. A, I don't give a rat's ass. That, I said that. And, and for me, it's simple. It's it's. You want him to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> well, him and I talk about this I stuff. Said it on. <laughs> it's a scarcity versus abundance mindset, right? When you do these things correctly and you solve problems, people are always going to rip them off. People are ripping off our courses for years, right? They can make the peanuts. That's great. I have the relationships for life. And like, it's me, they're spreading all over the internet because no matter what you do, you're not going to make that, that it's not my food photo or not my face on the video. And if somebody really wants me, they're going to come find me. So I don't password protect PDFs. Like I don't, I don't play that, that stuff. So I try to use them. And a lot of times I'll give away lead magnets without emails. I just retarget them with Facebook, right? Because that way I'm not worrying about this transaction, right? And just quickly on this one, just so you guys know, this has worked at scale. I did a, a launch for this for a product. And, you know, Jeff Walker's amazing and they do video launches, right? But they always require your email before the first video. And I'm like, how do I know that they're actually going to fucking like me? Like, what's the point? So then I built a landing page and I had video one and the opt-in button didn't show up till minute seven. So if you wanted video two, you had to make it to seven minutes in and then opt in. Our conversion rates were through the fucking roof because then everybody else that came and left didn't want my emails, didn't want the video, didn't want the content, and I didn't have to pay for them. And then I tried one more time and I retargeted them with a retargeting ad and I was like, hey... Like super stoked that you checked out the video, but you left after like 30 seconds. Are you interested in the rest of it? And if they weren't, they weren't. We didn't follow up at all after that. And then once they opted in, they got video two and three and four and the PDF and the sales sequence. 
But now that allows me at scale, like if, if I'm going super aggressive and spending 10, 15, 20K on leads, it comes a part of like my loss in that, but I don't want them on my list anyways, because they're not gonna convert. You know, the fake email addresses, they're not interested in the content or the video, and I can get their data anyways because I pixeled them on Facebook, and so if I really wanna use it, I can use that data without having to worry about all that stuff, so yes. If you have less than a thousand fans on your Facebook page, should you just abandon the page and go move them into a group instead? Like, are we at that point where the pages are kind of dead? No, no, because you can't do paid media without a page, okay. right? And your paid media effectability works depending on your organic engagement. So your ads are cheaper when your organic engagement is higher. So Facebook rewards you for building communities. So they're not one and the same. They're two different pillars that need to work together, right? And so pages are one to many. Groups are one to one. Right, and they serve two different purposes. And so I still use the page, and we link in between. We have people in our group that are like our share monkeys that like we post, we don't ask, and they just like go to town. Like I'm like, how do we get 80 shares on this thing in three minutes? And I realized my community manager shared the video into the group, and they're all like, we want everybody to see this, and blah blah blah. Right, and so we still work on that page and building that page because when we do play with paid media, it saves us a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, and thank you, by the way, because I started uh, a group for my DIY wedding planning course uh, right now as we were talking. So thank you. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. That's like one of the easiest, like you are, you're good. You got Pinterest and Facebook groups for days. Yes. So some of the stuff that you're talking about, like showing an opt-in button and not into seven minutes into the video and stuff like that, you do all that with ConvertKit? No, no, ConvertKit's just email. Wistia would. That would be Wistia. I did that in ClickFunnels. So any platform that you would build a funnel in, any page, like Instapages can do it, any of those things. ClickFunnels is just the fastest and easiest to deploy. With Wistia, you can see analytics on the video and you can see like where people drop off and you yeah. can put in a call to action wherever you want really easily. Yep. Yes. Just to make sure I'm following along. So if I have a Facebook page yeah. for my company, I should create a Facebook group, then advertise that group to followers of the page and say, hey, hey, y'all, come and join our Facebook group. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. the group be private or public? No, closed. closed. So three levels of groups. You have open, you have closed, and you have secret. So open, everybody can search, join anytime they want. Closed, they can search, find and then request to join. Secret, they can't find it all. You have to give them a link to join. Yeah. So the only groups I've seen in Secret, when I did a group for about eating disorders, when I was helping people like with bulimia and anorexia and stuff like that. Because otherwise people can see who's in the group. They can see who's in the group and like privacy stuff. <laughs> but yeah, so like in your case, you, it's kind of both. Uh, one tip for everybody, do not link your group to your page. Why? I found this out like two weeks ago. Same, yeah, same time. yeah. So the reason being is Facebook basically looks at it like, oh, you have X amount of fans over here. You're using a group just to gamify engagement, right? So there's no benefit to linking them. The downside is, is that now like you pretty much targeted yourself. Like, hey, I got 300 fans on my 300,000 fans on my page, and it's not going so well. So I'm going to create a group and and link them. So we've tested groups not linked and linked, and the engagement is a lot higher in groups that are not linked. So just a little hack for you. Good to know. Is there any issue linking groups? No, you can link groups. Groups are fine. Because you can interlink them all. So, yeah. What do you mean? Inside of a Facebook group, now, once they made group admin stuff, you can link, like it says, link to your page, and you can link your page. When everybody's in your group, they see your page on the top. And then when they're on their page, your page, they see your group in the top. But the truth is nobody clicks through them. Right? How many times have you clicked through one? Didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Why did they put them in the first place? Huh? Why, why did they that? Like, to Dean's point, it's Facebook. 
right? Like they own everything. They have more data than we're ever gonna wanna know about ourselves. They collect everything for every purpose and what they're doing, right? It's like that movie, The Circle. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's like. Um, but whatever their ongoing purpose is right, right now, I don't know. They present it as like, here's this convenient way for people to see that you have a group. Or the other way was credibility. They said you can link your page so people trust your group. But how many of you have ever made your group the joining decision based on a blue check mark? None of us do. And, and what's your sort of like framework in terms of the questions you're asking people when they join the group? Yeah, yeah. So the basically the three questions I ask when people join the groups are number one, I want to know how they found me. Number two, uh, I want to know their email address. And number three, I ask them if they want this amazing free gift. And then we have a, a Chrome plugin that's not available right now, but we wait and every day at the end of the day we run this plugin and it pulls all the names, email addresses, and data into a Google Excel spreadsheet or Google yeah. Sheet. Gr and then the Google Sheet, yeah, with uh, Grouply is it? Something like that. It's yeah. Group Funnels. Yeah. With Arnie. No posted publicly like that, like in the group, I guess. No, no, no. There are questions that get asked. They have they to join. fill it out in order to join the group. Nobody else can see them. And then that automatically adds to ConvertKit, which then delivers the the lead magnet and the gift and adds us to their email sequence. Wait, I'm going to ask you back, guy. What is it that takes the question answers and puts it somewhere? It's, it's a, a plugin. It's a plugin. It's, it's just not for sale right now. It's called Group Funnels. Grouply would be the one right. that, yeah. Grouply. Is, is it true that Facebook does let you review that? Yes. 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 So don't like approve them. Like you can't go back and see people's Crazy. answers after you've approved them. They collect that data. <laughs> Yeah. But you don't own it. And those questions, like, we don't want to make them complicated. And we don't, we don't predicate, like, we're not like, you can't join the club if you don't fill out the questions, right? But we leave them there for about two days. What happens if they don't answer them when they log back into that group? Facebook notifies them and says, hey, the group admins want you to answer these questions to join the group. And then after 48 hours, we approve them anyways and still welcome them like everybody else. So do you find that you get more engagement if they get that message from Facebook as well? Like, hey, you know, you should really fill that out or is it better to- Our audience honestly fills them out, like I'd say 90% fill it out right away. So you don't need so backup. No, we don't, we yeah, don't why, have like, many- Why wouldn't you? We don't have many issues with that whatsoever. And then another way we tested it real quick is um, we deliver um, like just for free context, a 305 page journal for a year on basically how to optimize and live their life for free for joining our Facebook group. 305 pages, things fucking massive. Who wrote it? I did. And so, and then each lesson ties to a video. So there's 18 lessons and each one has its own 10 to 25 minute video. Oh, that's um, cool. That's your free, that's your yeah. gift with purchase. We're all no purchase. No purchase. Yeah. Huh? We're all joining your group right now. Gift for um, raising your hand. But just so you know, you might be in an industry or a niche where somebody's like, I'm not gonna give you my email address for this because I can't predict it. I'm in the health space for this particularly, right? So I'm like people's, like they see it as the savior, like how do I solve my problems? I'll, I'll do anything for it. So the other way around that is you don't create the, don't create those questions like to require an email address. Create those to collect data on what they wanna see in the group and then have your welcome post link to that PDF or to that gift for free and then the first page or the second page of that gift, give them another irresistible offer that requires their email address. Anybody that takes the time to put that in, that's your customer. Oh, it's in Facebook groups, like the technology. Yeah, yeah like it's in, it's built into the groups. Yeah, it's, it's Facebook has it, so it's in your settings, member settings. And then it says like, ask questions when people join, yeah. and they give you three questions to ask. 
the plugin kind of scrapes it from the page. Is that what it does? The, Chrome? the plugin scrapes it from the page just so you don't have to manually do it. But like, I hope all of you are adding thousands of people a day to your Facebook group, but realistically, it's not that yeah. much work. You know, we manually do it 25 to 100 people a day sometimes. Like Jeremy's just like, done, right? It, it's not there, but the data that we use is amazing. Yep. All right, I'm curious, like your transition for less doing to the Facebook. Like I know, I've heard you express like a general dislike of that technology as to engaging in a Facebook group. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but what's been that the experience of less doing versus Slack, right? Yeah, well, I mean, so we do use less, we do use Facebook for the free group. So there were two sort of walls pushing in on that. One was that we wanted to have a paid Slack team for our paid members. And with a thousand people in Slack that aren't paying for it, that's you know eight thousand dollars a month basically. So there's no way to justify that. So we needed to get people out of Slack that were not paying, because there are a lot of things that we can do in Slack that we can't do in Facebook. We own everything. First of all, we can share, and you know it's just a different kind of setup. The other thing that I like about Slack for us for the paid programs is that a lot of people in most programs they're not using Slack for work, so Slack becomes like our app on their phone, right? So that's one thing. Facebook as a group for the free stuff has been great. It always has. And that's where my original bootcamp was and my paid programs were there. So I like them. It's just, it's a matter of, for the free group, I think it's great. Well, and then you have to understand your demographic too, right? Like my people out of 100,000 people, like 10 of them will know what fucking Slack is. Yeah. yeah. They're like, what? Right? And I'm like, well, do you know what Pinterest is? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, that, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> Right, and so like uh, understanding your demographic, your demographic probably has no fucking clue what Slack is unless you have like a one percentile of entrepreneurs that use your product. Smokers who want to quit smoking. Yeah, and so like it, it, understanding, right? And so our audience, like I look at where they are. They spend all their time on Facebook, like all of them. And so like all I have to do is open my wife's phone and look at her battery usage and see what app's number one. I'm like, <laughs> that's where I'm building my community. Yeah, it's a very good point. All right, one more question if there's one, and obviously George doesn't go anywhere, but any other last questions? What's the mindset of the, you left something in your cart? Explain that, like, yeah. what the, oh, oh, like, well, so traditionally, what people do, and, and they still work sometimes, but traditionally what happens is like somebody will add something to their cart and then they'll leave the page. So it triggers an email that says, hey, you forgot something. I just have this very, very firm belief that Nobody fucking forgot. I've never forgot something in a cart. I've left while I'm going to make a purchasing decision. Like, hey, is my wife gonna kill me? Am I gonna have buyer's remorse? Does this actually solve my problem? Is this like a wasted purchase, right? And so my thinking and theory in that is great. Uh, when I tell them I don't care whether they buy or not, they do one thing, they buy, <laughs> right? Because it's no longer me telling them to buy, it's them choosing to buy. And I'm literally giving them a gift like, hey, by the way, like, you know, you haven't decided whether you're going to buy or not, but just in case you wonder what your customer experience is going to be like with me and how much I fucking love you, here's a free gift, even though you didn't buy, right? Like, and all of it is that, that bank of reciprocity, right? Like fascinate people, make them feel like they're orgasming when they leave your cart, as Sally would say, <laughs> right? And then if you can do that, you'll build a relationship and have a customer that will stick with you regardless of the product you sell, regardless of the price point. That's why all of us close these high ticket 25K to 100K masterminds on phone or in the person. Because then like I'm in relationship with you, I'm helping manage your feelings and expectations. So I try to take human relationship and put it on the internet, right? And that's what we're really, really doing. And that's how you stand out in a world full of discernment. And, and I was telling 
um, them out in the hallway. Uh, this, this would be great for all of you. The three things that people need to do anything on the internet. They need permission, they need safety, and they need accountability in that order. You have to give somebody permission to take an action, they have to feel safe in doing it, and you have to hold them accountable to it. And if you do those three things and check those boxes in whatever you do, whatever funnels you build, whatever groups you do, whatever emails you write, many chat sequences you do, you will have a massive amount of success and you will build the best relationships that you've ever seen with your customers. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, we each only have 24 hours in a day, right? Why not make yours more productive so you can focus on amplifying your unique abilities? Join us over at the Less Doing Labs. It's a free, exclusive community filled with tips, tricks, and tools to multiply your efficiency. Just sign up at lessdoinglabs.com slash 24 hours. That's lessdoinglabs.com slash 24 hours.